Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about defend, not defund the police. Seattle's Chaz, Rayshard and Abrams and the truth about Atlanta, and open civil war and Trump victory. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to tell you in this First Five the most amazing contrast and it's actually a big window on where we are politically in this country. I call this segment, this First Five, Defend and Not Defund the Police. Stop and think about this. The newspaper of record, the New York Times, ran an op-ed a couple of days ago on June 12th entitled, Yes, we mean literally abolish the police. It was signed, actually open, it wasn't anonymous, it was the New York Times editorial, uh, and it was by a woman named Mariam Kaba. And her, so she, her last name is Kaba, K-A-B-A. She's a former, she's been affiliated with Soros kind of organizations, a lot of uh, kind of uh, questionable terrorist connections. And her entire piece, which the New York Times, to be clear, they're not obligated to run anything. People can submit opinion pieces. Most people who submit opinion pieces can't get them published. New York Times chose to run with her open advocacy for literally abolishing the police. And of course, her advocacy on that point is running through all of the examples she says show that the police engage in systemic injustice, racist injustice toward black America. So she tells some things you're very, people are very familiar with. Of course, she makes reference to the very ugly incident in Minneapolis involving an officer who with his knee on the neck of George Floyd uh, leading to his death. So she runs through these basically saying, not just that we finally gotten to the point, but she says, I've been advocating the abolition of police for years. Uh, here's an immediate demand we make, cut the number of police in half, cut their budget in half. Fewer police officers equals fewer opportunities for them to brutalize and kill people. So she's openly advocating the title and she actually calls it, we literally abolish the police and then goes on to argue if you can't abolish them, at least defund them. No problem to her, no problem to the New York Times to run this article as an editorial uh, this on, on June 12th. Contrast that with what happened in California at UC Berkeley, one of the most liberal colleges in the country. You know, it's a, it, Berkeley's uh, kind of synonymous in most people's views, radical left. And at Berkeley, a professor wrote an anonymous letter to other history professors. This is an anonymous history professor at UC Berkeley, penned, wrote a letter, to all of the other history professors at UC Berkeley, and of course, obviously, because I have it, published it. And this person, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but this professor's article runs through, as he says, shreds the Black Lives Matter injustice narrative. I mean, shreds meanings takes facts, 
actual facts and data and reviews the entire argument of Black Lives Matter that we live in a culture that is just rampant with racial injustice toward black Americans and it, it, especially a police force and the policing function in our country just, just you know, infused, infused with racism and being so unfair to black America. His examples, or her, whoever this professor is, runs through some really great examples. And, and I want to urge you, by the way, both these things I'm talking about, you can read at our website, americacanbetalk.org. This professor writes about, for example, the idea that here we have this history department at Berkeley that had put out a lengthy statement supporting Black Lives Matter. And this person, this anonymous professor, is responding, saying, you know, in the recent department emails, you mentioned a pledge to diversity, but there is an absence of diversity of opinion on the topic of the recent protests and our community's response to them. He goes on to point out, why don't any of you, why don't we ever point out that there are intelligent black scholars in this country, actually well-known intelligent black scholars. He mentions Thomas Sowell, Wilford Riley, who he says, who reject the narrative that strips black people of agency and systematically externalizes the problem of the black community onto outsiders. In plain English, he's saying, there are plenty of people, including black scholars in this country, that question the narrative that every single measure that people look to and they point out, well, you know, the uh, average black Americans more likely uh, to uh, whatever it is, be impoverished, have low education, ha be incarcerated. All of the measures he's saying many black American scholars, actual intellects are saying there's no reason to always point outside the black community to blame the rest of society for every single thing that is occurring. He goes on to say, this is also this entire idea of it is a problematic hypothesis that should be vigorously challenged by historians, but no one, no historian ever dares challenge any of these, uh, any of the narratives of Black Lives Matter put out. He says, he talks about the explanation provided in your documentation. To the near exclusion of all others is univariate, meaning unvarying. The problems in the black community are all caused by whites, or when whites are not physically present, by the infiltration of white supremacy and white systemic racism into Americans' brains, souls, and institutions. So that's his first point. Next point he makes, he talks about the idea that people advocating for the Black Lives Matter views regularly talk about, well, look at the numbers with respect to incarceration. Look at the, you know, the black population in America is roughly 13% of the entire population, and yet the prison population is higher than, significantly higher than 13% uh, of the entire prison population, so they view that as evidence of racism. He makes the point, well, if that's true, why isn't anyone arguing that, in fact, instead of our system, our criminal justice system, being discriminating against black Americans, why aren't we arguing that it discriminates against men? Because the prison population, you know, in America, the overall population, there are slightly, usually more, slightly more than men than, I mean, women than men. It's like 51, 49, or sometimes 52, 48, more women than men. And yet prisons are filled with men. A very tiny portion of the overall prison population in this country are women. He said, why is it that that is not your point? Why, why don't you then talk about or question whether or not our system unfairly uh, treats men? He also goes on to say, 
He talks about the idea that we don't actually, we're not able to have a conversation, to look at data, to explore data, can't even talk about it if any data does not completely support the radical left Black Lives Matter agenda, that we're not even allowed to talk about it. This, this person writing this is pointing out, uh, this is the, he calls it the BLM's problematic view of history. The department is presenting uh, as though they're all unified on this, but he talks about the idea that any dissent expressed, any dissent, any disagreement with any agenda item that the Black Lives Matter community puts forth, that the, the Democrat Party puts forth, that the radical left puts forth, any objection, any insertion of data is greeted with anger, vitriol, or as he says, expulsion and cancellation for those of us in the precarious position who don't always agree with the majority. He also talks about how can we be so hypocritical in our just blanket support and he's talking about Berkeley professors, blanket support for the entire Black Lives Matter agenda, narrative, conclusion, uh, view of America, view of history. He says, why is it that the vast majority of violence visited on the black community in this country is committed by black people, but Black Lives Matter only matter to the Black Lives Matter group when whites are involved? If black lives are taken by other black lives, Black Lives Matter doesn't care. And so this, I want to make the point in this first five, wrapping up, wrapping up this first five. Think of what this says about where we are in this country. You can't talk about facts. This guy's pointing out, this professor at Berkeley, he has to write his own department anonymously. He can't, or she, cannot reveal their identity out of fear of expulsion, termination, certainly ridicule, uh, certainly being shunned and ostracized. How dare you question the narrative, the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, narrative that America is supposed to accept. But this is just, I, I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant piece. It made a lot of rounds around the internet. But think about this idea as I close this first five. The absurdity, the absolute insanity level absurdity of arguing that in America, we ought to defund, literally, as this writer, this, Tom, this uh, George Soros, radical leftist writer is saying, yes, abolish police. That is mainstream enough that New York Times will run an editorial advocating the absolute abolishment of police. And that's normal. Don't you see? That's normal. That's reasonable. It's in the you know, milieu of reasonable ideas. But a professor at Berkeley pointing out, why don't we ever have a discussion based on facts? Why is everything we talk about, we just, we, the intellectual elites of Berkeley, we accept the Black Lives Matter narrative, numbers, arguments, and he points out anecdotal stories, and none of us can ever, the, the, they're not ever subjecting those narratives, the Black Lives Matter narrative, to the same kind of rigorous assessment that they would apply in any other context. Can't look at facts, can't look at numbers, can't consider other opinions, can't consider other factors. The only answer permissible in radical left America, which is Berkeley, frankly, not just radical left America, the only answer acceptable in polite public conversation is to salute and surrender to the Black Lives Matter narrative that America is a terrible, awful, evil, racist nation. And certainly we must all accept systemic racism in this country, even though data disprove that, we all must accept systemic racism uh, within the police department, racial injustice, even though the data do not back that up. 
but you're not allowed to talk about data, can't talk about facts, can't talk about truth. You can only talk about what the left has decided is permissible to talk about. And that, my friends, is unacceptable in America. And that is my first five for today. So the next thing I want to talk about today was happening in Seattle. And you likely know um, in Seattle that they have had this, you know, takeover of this area in Seattle. It's like a, uh, it's now, they're now calling it CHAZ, C-H-A-Z is their acronym for it. And it's an area of Seattle, which is called Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. That's where the name CHAZ came from. And this idea that allegedly the entire incident, not just in Seattle and the taking over by the Antifa thugs, of this area in Seattle, they try to claim, left tries to claim this is all because of what happened in Minneapolis and, and systemic racism and horrible treatment, all of that. So the, this takeover, this area in Seattle is justified. But actually what I've been trying to push, I'm going to keep on talking about this is, you have to understand Antifa, Black Lives Matter, radical other Marxist leftist organizations in this country have been poised and waiting to pounce. Anytime the next incident happens, some incident occurs that can cause them to see, appear justified that they're going to launch into absolute destruction and mayhem. That's what's happened around our country. All the riots, which are continuing in many cities, uh, destruction of property, destruction of statues, continuing around this country. And more and more Americans, and especially if you listen to my show, are becoming aware that what you're seeing in these areas is not and has nothing at all to do with what happened in Minneapolis. Everybody condemns with what happened in Minneapolis. Everyone condemns that officer for his officer Chauvin. Everyone wants justice for George Floyd's family, regardless of what his personal history was. Whatever George Floyd's personal criminal history, that action by that officer wasn't justified, and there is, there is now an investigation and a prosecution underway. This is what we do in America. But you got to get what they're doing in Seattle and around this country, the destruction of statues, destruction of property, the just massive rioting and looting is not in any way related to George Floyd and the Minneapolis incident. It's about the radical left rising up because they saw an opportunity to upset America. Now, I want to talk about Seattle a bit because they now have this area. They've actually staked it out. They've been there a while now and they put barricades up. And they're deciding, you know, what is permissible and who can come in and what's going to happen there. So in Seattle, I want, I'm going to share with you in just a moment. There was a great clip, a young man who lives in Seattle, again, speaking about making the example, who's allowed to speak up in this country and who is afraid to speak up? UCLA Berkeley, I mean, UC Berkeley professor, afraid to put his or her name on a letter. A radical who wants to abolish the police proudly puts her name on an editorial in the New York Times. But back to our situation in Seattle, I'm going to play in just a moment a clip of a guy who's actually living there. He's so afraid of Antifa and Black Lives Matter that he's only willing to speak in an interview if they cover his face and they disguise his voice. But before I turn to having him tell you what it's really like in this area of Seattle, I want to mention again uh, this the, the mayor of Seattle, which is just kind of a, I mean, it, it would be laughable if it weren't so impossibly absurd. But the mayor of Seattle named Jenny Durkin, Durkin, D-U-R-K-A-N, she has alternatively described, she's, you know, Miss Peace and Love, Miss Radical Left Democrat, mayor of Seattle. She has described Chaz as having a, 
block party atmosphere that maybe this could turn into a summer of love, her words. She also described this absolute overthrow of the rule of law in this area, the throwing out of the police, taking over the police station. She's calling that patriotic. So this is the dithering foolishness of the Democrat mayor in Seattle calling an area where radical, violent extremists have taken over and tossed the police out. She's calling it a summer of love. Let's hear how one Seattle resident sees her summer of love when he has to live in that district called Chaz. And here he is. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like first, I have to just say that I'm scared. Like I've been scared every day since Sunday. And um, I haven't gotten a lot of sleep because uh, for the first time in my life in Capitol Hill, I hear gunshots every single night and I've heard people screaming every single night outside. And uh, they're not protest screams. I've heard protest screams, but I've also heard like screams of terror out there and I don't know what's happening out there. And it's just, that's rattling enough, just hearing the screams for the first time and not knowing what's going on. So the police had been, had been putting up barricades about a block in front of their precinct, the East Precinct, and just holding the line there and uh, letting the protesters come up and uh, just holding them back. The protesters have been pushing them with umbrellas. So they have been holding umbrellas in the front to conceal their front. They've been holding them on the top so you can't see the top. And you just see this like movement screaming and coming at you in your face. And anybody would be terrified. The chance I've, I heard them myself saying, kill the police. Um, I've heard them say, F the police, uh, defund the police cops are pigs, just violent chants. And so they're coming up on the cops and then they shine like lasers. Um, Sunday night was the worst that I saw it. Sunday night was when they had the lasers and the strobe lights. And uh, I heard the, the police, uh, the commanding officer, the guy running the situation out here with the megaphone, and he's telling them over and over, please stop, like stand where you are. And to give the police credit, they did not budge their own line. They did not move forward. They did not move back. They just stayed still. I hear a guy with a megaphone and he's not yelling. He's not screaming. He's just saying loudly and calmly. He said, Seattle Police Department, pull out your guns and commit suicide. And he said it over and over again. And um, it was like the sound of the devil because he wasn't yelling, he meant it. Um, the protesters started dragging dumpsters out into the middle of the road. and I, that was when I, I, I understood like this was part of their plan because it was coordinated. People peeled off in specific ways and they pulled the dumpsters out and then people are taking cover behind the dumpster. They have book bags. I saw one guy leaning, pulling stuff out of his book bag and throwing it at the police over the top of the dumpster. No idea what that was, you know, but it was a war going on right here. Okay, that, my friends, is our summer of love, according to Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin. Summer of love, really patriotic, sounds good to me. But I want to make a really serious point about this. Obviously, she's clueless. Obviously, now there's some tension between the governor and this mayor of Seattle about, you know, you got to do something about this. President Trump's been weighing in. I know many conservatives have been saying, you know, why doesn't Trump send in the troops? But I actually help think, and I, I said it last week, I'll say it again. This is helping the American people wake up and recognize what the today's Democrat Party is. It doesn't, it's not your grandmother's Democrat Party. It's not the party that used to like to stand up for the little guy or the party that, you know, kind of wanted to make sure we had a little bit higher taxes, so a little bit higher social spending. 
the Democrat Party, you name me one official who's condemned this. A little tiny bit, the governor up there in Washington saying, you know, you probably got to do something about this. This goofball mayor is doing nothing, does not intend to do anything. I really want to get the idea. I think that our having the uh, President Trump and keeping the federal government out of it, you know, not not just crushing it, even though it's very tempting and you want these people, these protesters to understand they can't do this. It is helping the American people see where we are, where the two parties live politically in 2020, where the Republicans live, where the Democrats live, because the Democrat Party has been so overtaken and is so completely deferential to the Black Lives Matter and even the Antifa agenda, they will not criticize them. They will not say, we really can't have a country like this, we can't have law and order if this is what we do. The Democrats cannot speak up, therefore they are responsible. There was a follow-on, a couple follow-ons after Seattle's thing, which was so, so some other radical leftist young students decided they would uh, make a little effort, do a similar thing where they live. So in the towns of Asheville, North Carolina, Portland, Oregon, Nashville, Tennessee, and Chicago, Illinois, over the weekend, there was a similar Antifa, Black Lives Matter, radical leftist attempt to take over, to replicate this Chaz area in Seattle and do it in these other cities. But you know, the good thing is other cities now have a little bit of warning. They have seen what's happened in Seattle. They're not playing that game. They're not gonna permit it. The particular story is kind of entertaining, uh, came out of Chicago. It was actually, I say entertaining for a couple of reasons. So this was in Chicago. A group of students uh, had taken over the University of Chicago Police Department. University of Chicago Police Department. They, over, they took over the, the police department uh, building, headquarters. They called for the abolition of the department, and so they got themselves inside the department. So they're there, they're claiming, you know, we're, we demand abolishment of the University of Chicago Police Department. Wisely, wisely, the University of Chicago said, you know what, they had the bathrooms all locked, they had these goofball protesters so proud of themselves, locking themselves in, but they soon realized there's no food, there's no water, and the police were not going to let delivery of food or water occur. They were not going to let these goofballs use the public restrooms in the University of Chicago Police Department building. So they're stuck inside and they need to use the restroom and they're hungry and they're thirsty and nothing, and, and they couldn't do a thing about it. So it was a very much of a failure, almost kind of entertaining failure of this kind of take, we're gonna take over and show you something. So the protesters have left the building, they came out. But it was so interesting and instructive when you see how, how crazed this movement is. This anti and these were, by the way, mostly white protesters. So, I mean, they were white protesters, Antifa-leaning, Black Lives Matter supporting. But what was so telling was when they came out, what they were complaining about was they talked to the media about, they were complaining that because the University of Chicago Police Department would not allow food and water to be delivered to them, would not allow them access to the restrooms that they were denied, they were denied their right to protest. They are confusing the idea that yes, we have in our constitution a right, peaceable assembly, you could, and that's right there in the constitution. You don't have the right to take over public property. You don't have the right to demand that you now own or control the public police department. So they were just, um, they were stuck inside and kind of end up looking foolish, 
But they, the statements they made afterwards in the media really tell you how far gone, confused, and frankly, pretty much insane these people are. Because they're complaining about, here's their language, the police made it so we couldn't have a safe action. They infringed on our right to protest because police wouldn't let them hang around in the police department building. And, and I mean, telling you folks, this is not coming up all of a sudden in the last month in America. This is decades and decades of poor instruction to our students, poor instruction to young people. What the, your right to peaceful protest is, that they think this is the idea. Yeah, we're going to be just like Chicago, just like Seattle. Yeah, we're going to take over and everything's going to be handed to us. On a more serious, so actually in all four of those cities I mentioned, the police were ready and just said, no, you're not taking over anything. You can get, as in some cities require, you to get some kind of permit to have a protest. You can apply for a permit. You can have a permit. You can have a peaceful protest, but you can't take over anything. And what I want to make the last point about this, these people taking over things is this. What they think in Seattle and other places where the protests have happened, they think that because they've taken over and they you know, own or control this Chaz area, that they can issue demands and that they're in a superior position. They're now in charge. They're going to issue demands because doggone it, we have now decided, you know, we get to issue demands. And so we're telling you what we want. So it, the people at the, uh, they call them, and actually the, there's not as organized a group running this deal in, in uh, Seattle as you might think, but one of the major groups, the Free Capitol Hill Movement, issued a list of 30 demands, three zero demands. And they think that they're going to be able just to hang out there and, until they get their demands met or they get negotiated. And I want to say where we need to be in America, where you have to have the government be, forget this goofball mayor in Seattle, you gotta have the message around this country, just as we said under Ronald Reagan back in the day, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't negotiate with terrorists. You don't get anything, not anything. We can have a discussion about a lot of issues and we need to have discussions about a lot of issues. We need to be discussing a lot of issues I'll talk about in just a moment. But you get nothing, nothing at all. You get zero on your list of demands if you do what you've done, illegally take over an area, declare it an autonomous zone. And if you listened to my show last Thursday, or if you didn't, I urge you to go back and listen to it. A great guest on Kyle Scheidler, who is talking about the history of the Antifa movement and how the use of this term autonomous zones by the people in Seattle is not just an arbitrary term they pulled out of the air. It has historical significance. The point of it is they really are saying, just like the no-go zones are in Europe, they're saying this zone no longer is part of Seattle, is no longer a part of the state of Washington. It's autonomous. It's independent. It's the country of Chaz. So, a couple of the demands I want to share with you just to realize how absurd they are and how America needs a very, very strong crackdown on all this. But demands include, uh, they have the one, end capitalism. They're trying to make the argument that capitalism is inherently racist, which has no basis in fact in, uh, in any way at all. It's just a goofball thing that radical leftists thought up to say, Marxist socialists thought up to say, because they want to convince people to get behind their socialist Marxist movement. So they claim that capitalism is inherently racist. So they want to end capitalism. Yeah, I don't think so. They also want to defund all police. Not happening. They also are calling for the release of all prisoners, all prisoners in jails and prisons who are people of color and have them released so they can then have a trial with a jury of their peers 
which in a discussion I was in a couple of days ago, someone was saying, well, in that case, have the, have the trial in prison. You know, that, that's, is that who the peers are? Other people that are, are sitting in jail, who are their peers? But they actually are trying to claim that they should get to have the release of, of all people. And they actually mentioned specifically who committed violent crimes and are in jail for violent crimes. Those people should be released, don't you know, and have a jury of uh, trial, another, a new trial with a jury of their peers. They have four categories of their demands, the criminal justice system, economic system, health and human services, and education. They want to abolish imprisonment. I mean, I just want, I mean, I'm going to get, obviously, these are so absurd, you can just listen to them and go, oh, come on. But they are serious. These are people who actually live in the geographic borders of the United States of America and cannot figure out that America is never going to abandon imprisonment because we have dangerous people. And every time we let dangerous people out of prison, for whatever reason we do, we have ended up with problems. We're even seeing violence from people who were, who were let out early from jail or prison because of the COVID-19 non-problem, but let those people let out, and then you have them committing violent crimes, and the left going, well, you know, we had to let them out because we could, sure couldn't let them, you know, get exposed to COVID-19, so they went, they went out and they committed violent murders and rapes. That's what's happening. This is how crazy the left is. But the other things I want to mention to you, uh, they're also talking about replacing imprisonment with rest, rest, restorative and transformative accountability programs. Uh, so that they, I mean, the list goes on and on. And I, you know, I want to make this point to say both that the, the large point that we don't negotiate, they get zero. The answer is zero. If you want to sit down and have an intelligent discussion about policing practices, about whether or not that tactic that was used in Minneapolis, the knee on someone's neck, should be abolished in every jurisdiction, should be limited to certain cases, uh, should be reviewed, should be, uh, people should get retrained, whatever it is, you can have those discussions. We should have those discussions. We should have reviews of officers who are routinely or in excess numbers accused of being uh, too harsh, too rough, uh, police brutality allegations. We can make all sorts of discussions, all sorts of changes, but when they're talking about defunding the police, when they're talking about abolishing the police, at a New York Times editorial that they happily ran, you have to understand they're talking about the destruction of America. And I want to talk about the police a bit before we get to, we're going to talk in a minute about what happened in Atlanta, but this whole idea of the abolition of the police, the reason you have police in a civilized society is because you don't want to have the wild, wild west. You don't want to have vigilante justice. You don't want to have mob justice. You want order. You want order and safety for most people most of the time. We have laws that we, the people, choose lawmakers who then put laws into place. This is our, this is our entire social compact of America. We choose elected officials and we can fire them or rehire them every election day. They make the laws and then the laws have to be enforced by the executive branch, which comes down to the police. The reason we have police is because we have agreed to a rule of law. If you abolish the police, as these crazed persons are talking about, if you abolish police, who enforces the laws that the government, that our elected officials pass? Who decides when those laws are violated? Who decides whether to arrest someone? 
We're going to have the wild, wild west kind of justice. We're going to have the, you know, the, the kind of mob justice, send out a posse every time something happens. I mean, there's a, there is no logical basis. There is no rational argument for the idea to end the functioning of police. There may be plenty of good arguments for retraining police, for reviewing police procedures, for changing the composition of the police department, for improving communications between police and civilians. Lots of good reasons for that. But the idea, when they're telling you they want to abolish the police or defund them, they're telling you they want to destroy the rule of law in America and substitute their own radical concept of right and wrong. Because understand this point, there will be, after this entire discussion is over, after we're finished with Chaz, after things settle down in this country, there will be some entity, some people, somebody in charge. There will be either the police departments of the cities and towns of our country and the sheriffs and the state police. There will be police. And if we abolish all police, somebody else will still be in charge. There's not going to be... Uh, you know, just a, a lawless society or a society where we have nobody in charge and, and everything is just beautiful and utopian and we all wander around because now that the police have been eliminated, no one commits any crime and everything is wonderful and great. There's just, there's going to be someone in charge to keep order. If it's not the police, if it's not the rule of law put in place by our Constitution, by the idea of us electing people to go to legislatures at the state level, level and the federal level, and then putting laws in place that the police enforce, if that system goes away, somebody is in charge. And when you watch the conduct of Antifa, of Black Lives Matter, how they've behaved over the last four weeks, that's who they're talking about should be in charge. That's who they're talking about. Understand, they're not talking about putting in a more, a, a different set of police who are going to still help us uphold our entire construct of a, of a civilized society. They're talking about radicals, Marxists, leftists, then being in charge and establishing a justice system under their view of justice. And people, America will be gone if that happens. I want to try and talk about, I know a lot of you probably followed the story in um, Atlanta. There was the um, Rayshard Brooks, a black man, was killed by a white Atlanta police officer in an incident in a Wendy's parking lot. And I'm going to tell you, I talked with Matt the Wonderful on the way in today, and even before we got started, about whether or not to play the clip. Uh, I actually have a clip that goes from the very beginning of the officer's interaction with the, this gentleman, Rayshard Brooks, and it goes all the way from their first conversation with him all the way until he ends up same in that part, still in that parking lot, same parking lot of Wendy's, being shot by this police officer. And he died at the hospital later, Rayshard Brooks did. And this is going to become one of the stories, and his name will be added to the other stories that become the kind of uh, narrative the Black Lives Matter movement uses, they just throw out a list of names and people, everybody's life matters, everyone's life matters. And the loss of life is, is always horrific and the loss of life in a violent manner is always horrific. And having police officers 
who do not wake up every day and think, gee, I sure hope I can get out there and take someone's life today. It's about the last thing they ever want to do. They do not want to go around killing citizens. They realize what will happen. They realize that they use their service revolver and end up killing someone or even shooting someone and not killing them. There's going to be a major review. There's going to be major backlash. They're probably going to lose their job. They may get prosecuted. They're all aware of the, the very, very tense and toxic environment we're in in our country. Police officers do not set out to shoot people. They actually don't want this. They do not want to become the next headline. But I've decided after going back and forth and talking to Matt that I don't want to play this, uh, this video on this show. But if you want to see a video that goes from beginning to end, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. And on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, you can click on the video and, and it's labeled uh, the, Rayshard, the uh, Rayshard Brooks incident Atlanta incident and you can click on it and watch it yourself but what I want to do is tell you because obviously the narrative is getting spun immediately but I want to just tell you what happened so Rayshard Brooks was asleep in his car in the parking lot of a Wendy's not over in the corner out of the way in the drive-through lane so he's in the drive-through lane at Wendy's in Atlanta Rayshard Brooks is black and so he's in Atlanta has a very, very large black population. And so he's, he's in line he's at, at, or he's in the lane where the drive through lane is, but he's sound asleep. So someone inside Wendy's called the police and said, Hey, there's a guy in the blocking the drive through lane and uh, he appears asleep. So the police came and they talked to him and the beginning of the video at which I'm not going to show, I've decided, but the beginning of the video is a very calm, Rayshard Brooks is out of his car. The officers give him a breathalyzer test because I think he maybe smelled like alcohol because you're not, it's not usual to fall asleep in your car when you're in the drive-through lane of a fast food place. So they give him the field sobriety test. He fails it. He's well over the limit. He's drunk. So the police say, you know, okay, well, they can't, you know, so they're, they're going to arrest him. So he's standing up talking to him very calm. It's okay. The officer said, well, you know, I'm going to have to um, and have to bring you in because you're over the legal limit. You can't be driving like this. You can't be driving, you know, uh, as you're, when you're drunk. So Brooks looks like he's going to very peacefully turn around. I mean, he begins to turn around. The officer says, you know, put your hands behind your back. He's going to handcuff him. And then Rayshard Brooks exploded. There are two officers and the one, in, one gentleman being, being uh, arrested. This is Rayshard Brooks. Huge battle on the ground. I mean, fist fighting, punching, uh, and the two officers are having a very difficult time restraining one guy. Very hard time restraining him. And he's fighting back. You hear the taser thing go off. The other officer's taser goes off. And you hear the officer saying over and over, you know, please stop resisting. Please stop resisting. Calm voice. No, as the left always tries to claim, no, uh, you know, racist language. No foul language. Just kept saying, please stop resisting. Please stop resisting. Rayshard Brooks is fighting two officers. He's kind of winning. And he ends up punching one of the officers. Really, really big battle. And then you hear one of them yelling, he's going for my gun. So Rayshard Brooks ends up with the taser gun belonging to one of the officers. So he runs away with the taser gun. He's got the taser gun in his hands. The officers have been in this brutal brawl with him on the, on the, on the ground out inside this Wendy's. And Rayshard Brooks, you can see on the video, turns. He's got the, the 
a taser gun in his hand, turns back and aims it toward the officer. You hear the other officer yell, he's going to tase you, he's going to tase you. And that is when the shot is fired. So there could be a lot of, there will be a lot of discussion. This obviously every time an officer discharges his weapon, there's an investigation, there should be. When an officer discharges his gun and results in the death of a citizen, there's going to be a major investigation. And, and, and right away, the Atlanta police fired the officer who, fi who fired his gun. And the other officer has been placed on some kind of administrative or, or desk job leave. And, and the chief of police resigned. So that is a story. And you can see it yourself. You don't have to believe my version. Go watch it yourself. That is what happened. So where we got from that is that the uh, Stacey Abrams, who wants to be, who ran for governor, uh, she's a black woman politician. She ran for governor. She was formerly a member of the, of the uh, Georgia legislature. She has gone on the news and called it, this was murder. That's her terminology. This was murder. Uh, in fact, she even used the expression, um, I won't find it uh, fast enough. Um, she calls it murder of a man because he was asleep at a drive-thru. And I just want to plant that seed for you. This is the kind of narrative that Stacey Abrams is putting out there. He did not get, end up, you know, being shot because he was asleep in the drive, at, at a restaurant. He, what happens, what I just laid out for you, maybe there are arguments that, you know, this is a situation where, you know, the officer, you know, if, if even if this, this Rayshard Brooks had, had succeeded in tasing the officer, even if he had tased him and the taser had, you know, hit him and, and really tased him, you know, you can still argue, okay, but that's not fatal. It's not fatal. That's why they have tasers, because they aren't fatal, because they're intended to just, you know, keep, uh, make, immobilize you and enable the officer to get control of the situation. So maybe someone will argue, well, you know, he shouldn't have fired his gun when all that was being aimed at him was a taser. That'll have you sorted out by their system in Georgia, sorted out by whoever looks into this. But I do want to make the point back to the beginning of, the, of this um, show and, and the kind of the ongoing issue in America, this just completely ludicrous idea that we should defund the police. I want to ask you to think about why would anyone in America, a young man or woman who's always wanted to be a police officer, who looks at the way the public speaks and talks about police officers, looks at the way they are treated. And in this particular case, they, they actually took, I mean, I don't know which of the two officers got punched in the face by Rayshard during this battle, but one gets punched in the face. I think it was the officer who fired his gun, but I'm not sure. But the point is, why would any sane person want to be a police officer? The public doesn't back them. The media doesn't back them. The Democrat Party doesn't back them. They are constantly being vilified by the media, by the left, by Black Lives Matter, by Antifa, by the New York Times. New York Times is implicitly backing this idea that we should abolish the police. And you think about this guy, this officer, in that split second where he's been... He's been on the ground wrestling with this guy. He's been punched in the face. The guy's aiming a taser gun at him. And you know, by the way, two more things I want to mention about this case. If Rayshard had succeeded in tasing the officer, who knows what he would have done next? Maybe he would have come back toward the officer while he was in a tased, you know, immobilized state, couldn't do anything, and retrieve the officer's real gun. Maybe he would have you know, tried to, to use that as a threat against the other officer because he, you know, he's now got the officer's gun. 
And the other point about it is, back to this officer interaction, there are people saying, well, why couldn't they just leave the guy alone? So he's asleep in his car. But the thing was, he's asleep in his car drunk. And if the police had gone and talked with him and said, realized and, and administered this, this uh, breathalyzer and realized, you know, he's drunk, he shouldn't be driving, he's too drunk to drive. But the officers had said, well, you know what, buddy, just, you know, just sleep it off here. Just sleep it off till you're sober and then drive home. Or go ahead and drive home, but just be careful. And on the way home, Rayshard had ended up in some collision caused by his being drunk. The officers had to try to arrest him is my point. You can't leave someone in a drunk condition, obviously drunk enough to fall asleep in the drive through lane of a Wendy's. You cannot let that person just sit there in the car. And yet we had, as you well know, in Atlanta, we had a major, major incident after that. The Wendy's was burned down, that there's massive riots and windows broken, all the kind of stuff that happens. But people, I want to say about this struggle we're in this country about race. This incident will obviously be analyzed, will be investigated, it'll be talked about, his name will be Rayshard Brooks, be another person whose name is added to the uh, to the litany of cases in which it seems as though there was systemic racism engaged in by, or by the uh, police department or by the justice system. But when you know those facts, at the very least, it should help you to be able to assess, you know, maybe in this case, you know, sad, unfortunate as this case was, this officer didn't, wasn't out of line. I don't know what the outcome will be. I don't know what the investigation will be. But the officer is not, as the left perpetually tries to paint the picture, you know, you can hardly uh, get up in the morning uh, without being possibly, um, as a black American, you can't get up in the morning, walk out of your house to go to the park or to walk your dog or whatever you're doing without undergoing a threat of being attacked randomly by police officers who drive by and randomly hassle black citizens who are just going for a walk in the park. These facts matter. It matters to understand all of the facts that led up to this. And by the way, I'm pretty sure someone involved, I think it was the chief, I'm not sure which person said it, someone in, involved in this case actually made reference to that set of facts I just told you and described it as that Rayshard, was, Rayshard Brooks was killed because he was sleeping while black. As though the reason he was killed is because he was sleeping in his car versus what I just told you. The entire t uh, tape, by the way, is, is, is a little over one minute. It's, a, it's just slightly over one minute. It's not a long tape. It's too rough to play for this show. I don't want to play because you're watching a man you know, being killed, and I think that's pretty rough to watch. But if you want to see these facts and you want to, if you question yourself what I'm saying, you ought to watch it yourself. But I'm going to tell you uh, just a quick story before I turn to my last, um, last story for today. So on my personal Facebook page, and I will copy it when I get home onto my show Facebook page, America Can We Talk, there was a great posting about a woman, by a woman who lives in Myrtle Beach, uh, Myrtle Beach at the beach. Uh, and she talked about, she's a white woman, 45 years old, uh, and had the same repairman come to her house for 20 years or something. He you know, fixes everything in her house and you know, installs her new dishwasher and all that kind of stuff. Really great guy. He's black, she's white. And she wrote this thing on Facebook talking about when he came over last week or two weeks ago, she said to him, how are you doing? You know, just kind of checking how he was doing. And, he, and 
to cut to the chase, to skip the whole long story, but I will put up for you to read, you know, he, she asked him, well, all these riots going on, what do you think about, you know, the, the racial, uh, the, the, you know, the tension in America and the argument that black Americans are treated unfairly by police? What's your, what's your view? What's your life experience? So he tells her, you know, I get pulled over and I think it was five to six times a month. I mean, he's got a business. He's got a van with a business on it, whatever it is, you know, Joe's handyman, whatever it was called. She doesn't say, but he's got a business and he's driving around his business van with his plumbing and other, uh, you know, tools and whatever he needs in the, in the van. And he's getting pulled over five to six times a month by police officers who are saying, what are you doing? What's, what are all those receipts for? What's all this equipment for? Questioning him, hassling him, hassling him. So, so she, I'm, I'm telling you the story to say, I know America is not a perfect country. Police are not perfect. We have had in some pockets and maybe everywhere, some officers who are, who engage in this kind of conduct. The great thing about this story was, so she told the story on Facebook. She ended up having a local news station call her and say, why don't you come in with the guy, the repairman guy, the two of you together, just tell this story. So they told their story on the local news in Myrtle Beach. Then the mayor called them and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I want to talk to you. I want to hear about this. I'm getting at the idea. We may need to have a lot of conversations about race in this country. I'm not claiming America is a perfect nation. No racist things ever occur. Of course they do. There are people of every skin color who are racist, every skin color. And when we can have sane conversations, when we can have factual conversations, when we can talk about this guy's story in, in Myrtle Beach, and we can talk about other people's stories in life and try to deal with them and have police officers and communities and, and America as a community try to resolve issues, it's a wonderful thing. And these do happen all the time. This one just happened to get a lot of attention. I'm getting at the idea though, that if you have radical demands by Black Lives Matter and Antifa springing from, supposedly springing from the incident in Minnesota, and so you want abandon the police, defund the police, abolish the police, uh, you know, community justice, you know, we're gonna be the wild, wild west and we're gonna have Antifa decide what the rules are and who's in charge. When you have demands like that, you actually end up shutting down the really good and healthy conversations that do need to happen. Conversations like this woman described in Myrtle Beach, where she said it was actually a great community healing thing. Many people talked about it, commented on Facebook. This is a great story, great to know and understand. We can have a lot of good conversations. Most Americans, I will say for the rest of my life, most Americans and most police officers, most people in America, men and women of every race, ethnicity, and national origin, the vast majority, the vast majority are good, noble people who do not want to live in a racist country, who always want to try to make things better, who are always trying to improve, make America a more perfect union. There are millions of Americans, the vast majority who feel that way. But what we're watching, the Black Lives Matter violence, the absurd demands to defund or abolish the police, to end capitalism, to let violent people out of prison. These things are not going to, not only are they not going to help America reach better answers, but they tend to drown out the really good stories and the important conversations we should be having, like the lady in Myrtle Beach, North Carolina. Actually, I always forget, North 
or South Carolina, whatever it is, Myrtle Beach. So I want to just say there's an important, I, I think that there's too much conversation at these very tense times, these toxic times that are saying it's, it's one or the other. It's the entire Black Lives Matter agenda and everything they say, or you're a racist and, and you, you, you don't care about people. And I think the truth is the Black Lives Matter agenda that, that is, is melded with Antifa, melded with the fascists, with the leftists who are, who are Antifa, melded with the defund police, end police, abolish police, that whole agenda actually deprives America of the rightful kind of conversations the vast majority of us want to have. One more quick story today. Uh, you may have known that yesterday, I call this a good civil war or an open civil war, uh, but I want to just tell you my thought about this. I think that in this country, as Americans watch what is happening in Seattle and Chicago and New York and Washington, watch all the violence around this country. All it's really doing is helping Americans wake up to recognize the Democrat Party no longer is playing on the American playing field. The Democrat Party has embraced entirely the Antifa, Antifa radical left agenda. They do not, you can't find a Democrat in Washington to condemn anything that these violent people are doing. You can't get them to speak up and say, we really can't have you know, Antifa taking over this Chaz area in Seattle. Somebody better do something here. Democrats have decided that no matter how destructive the radical left gets, they stand behind them. And so Americans, suburbia, people who just want to have a safe and healthy life, they want to live in a community where law and order abides. That America, the real America, is watching the Democrats' conduct and they're seeing, I don't want the America the Democrats would permit. I want the America of law and order. It's not a battle. I say this over and over. We are not in a battle between blacks and whites. We're not in a battle between the races. It's not a race war. This is what the left wants you to think, but it's not a race war. It's a war between people who love America. They know we have to have a rule of law. They know we have to have police to enforce law. Police who can sometimes do wrong things, we sometimes have to improve them. Um, they know we have to have that. So it's either you have America or you have the radical left, which is calling and which we are watching their demand for the destruction of America. It's so important to get that. What the left is demanding, Antifa, the Marxists, the, the radical Black Lives Matter um, elements, they're demanding destruction of America. And the Democrats are standing there and nodding their heads. This is where we are. So I say good civil war. I don't want people to be killed. I'm not talking about violence, but it's the civil war of ideas and a civil war of what we are willing to tolerate as a nation that America is watching. As President Trump stood up last week, came to Dallas, held a great program where he talked about we're going to try to move forward and, and make life better. Uh, we're going to make changes in major policy areas. I'll get to that tomorrow on this show. Make changes in major policy areas, try to move forward to make life better for all Americans. That's the message that will resonate with a vast majority of Americans. What the left is doing, Antifa, the leftists, the Marxists, the, the radical Black Lives Matter segment, what they're doing and the Democrat Party is nodding along and agreeing with is not going to play in America. The good civil war is, is helping people recognize the radical left is not on the American playing field anymore. 
and the radical left has overtaken today's Democrat Party, which is going to lead to a Trump victory in the fall. I cannot imagine. You know, we watch all these things on television. We watch the destruction of America. We watch all the horrible things happening. And I think a lot of Americans sit home and think, oh my gosh, everyone in America is supportive of Antifa? Everyone in America agrees that we should have mobs patrolling streets around major cities and smashing doors and, and lighting fires and destroying property and smashing windows and stealing things? And everyone in America is okay with this? Because the way the media covers it, it is almost, it is almost just in awe and respect. Look at these brave mobsters standing up. Look at these brave looters. Look at these brave people. They're destroying property. Aren't they wonderful? America's watching and saying, what the heck? Where's real America? I'm going to tell you where real America is. Real America is right with you and right with me. Real America does not want to continue to tolerate anything the left is doing. And real America is just disgusted and outraged by the tolerance of Chaz in Seattle, the tolerance of the destruction of property, the theft, the burning of buildings, the arson, the murder, carried out at the hands of the leftists in this country, in cities around this country, for now whatever it's been, 10 days or more, real America's watching this and saying, where are the grown-ups in the Democrat Party? And the answer is, they don't have any. They don't have any grown-ups left in the leadership of the Democrat Party. They're all just beholden to the radical left. So I think all this is going to lead to a Trump victory. I was thrilled to see President Trump reaching out in his statements last week at the event in Dallas and other times. We're going to try to move forward in America, making life better and better for all Americans, but we're not going to tolerate this crazy. So two last kind of positive things on Trump victory. One was there was a flotilla, which is a bunch of boats that got out. Uh, Matt the Wonderful has a clip. This is a flotilla in Florida. Yesterday, Flag Day, happened to be Trump's birthday. And this is what happened totally spontaneously in Florida for President Trump's birthday. Okay, I just want, I couldn't, you see the Trump flags, the Trump people? This is what America's feeling like. You know, you, you can watch all the headlines and think, my gosh, everyone's agreeing with the left. America is, is celebrating Trump's strength. That was in Florida, totally not organized by the Trump campaign. This is just people, and they're happening all over the country in, at lakes and rivers, and you saw that was in Florida. It's, it's Americans trying to convey to President Trump, we're right with you, hang in there, we're with you. The other little signal of that before I turn to wrapping up the show today is this. You probably saw that President Trump has a rally, the first rally uh, he's been able to have since the outbreak of the uh, COVID-19. He has a rally coming up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So the one of the great rallies everyone loves watching on television, full of enthusiasm. And so in an arena, so it's on June 20th, June 20th, and in an arena that holds 19,000 people, the arena holds 19,000 people. The Trump campaign has already had requests for over 800,000 tickets. Understanding, I mean, you can, you can 
see what the media is saying and you know, the media tries to tell you everyone's mad at President Trump and everyone thinks somehow all these riots were his fault and all this statue destruction and all this anger is all his fault. The media wants you to think that, the left-wing media wants you to. Not true, folks. What Americans, what you, what I think what Americans really are thinking, what, what is evidence, what's proof, is that little flotilla in Florida and this rally in Tulsa. America is saying, trying to tell President Trump, we're right with you, hang in there. We are not, we are not duped by what the media is trying to do to blame President Trump for the violence that the American left is agitating and permitting and, and agreeing with and permitting to happen. So my friends, we're out of time. We're actually we're past a lot of time. So very quickly, as I love to do at the close of every show, we'll talk to you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started out today talking about defend, not defund the police. The New York Times prints a terrorist op-ed in favor of defunding the police as if there is no other choice for America. Yet a UC Berkeley professor thoroughly debunks the entire defund the police narrative but must remain anonymous for fear of being canceled and losing the job, his or her job. Americans are not with the leftist anarchists. Americans do not want a lawless survival of the fittest animal culture. Americans must stand and defend their police. The blue line is a line of demarcation. The alternative is mob rule. And Seattle's Chaz, is Seattle's mayor a reminder what happens when voter apathy allows election of leftists. In times of peace, leftists are merely incompetent and silly. But in times of requiring crisis leadership, leftists are dangerously delusional. Chaz is not a summer block party celebrating democracy. It's a century of communist agitation landing in a major U.S. city. Residents are afraid for their lives. No rule of law, no private property, just the rule of force. Totalitarian towards speech and thought. And the mayor has no clue what to do. Americans must stop electing leftists to any office. This is not a harmless experiment. The damage is enormous and spreading. And on Rayshard and Abrams and Abrams and Truth in Atlanta, the Atlanta incident is not about racist police. Here are the facts. A demonstrably drunk man, 0.108 sobriety, passes out in a Wendy's drive through lane. A civilian calls for police help. Police respond politely and patiently. Civilians don't want drunk drivers. They want them in custody until they're sobered up. Suspect decides to resist arrest, punches officers, grabs officer's stun gun, runs away, fires stun gun at the pursuing officer. Pursuing officer fires back with real gun. This is what Stacey Abrams, the former Democrat candidate for Georgia governor and rumored, although I think she made this part up, but rumored DP, a Democrat vice presidential candidate, calls murder of a man because he was asleep at a drive-thru. That's what she tried to claim it was. Americans are tired of Democrat lies and mainstream media narratives. Truth matters. But no Democrat anywhere has stood up for the police in Atlanta. And finally, open civil war and Trump victory. We're seeing the open civil war of ideas. President Trump has forced the masks off the leftists for all to see. The leftists are not on the American playing field. They do not want rule of law. They want totalitarian control. They do not want civilization and order. They want chaos and anarchy. Yet d no Democrat will condemn them. How does that make the average American feel? The answer, over 800,000 ticket requests for a Trump rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Florida flotillas in the thousands in support of President Trump, organized and spread by word of mouth, not paid for. The radical left appears to be assuring a Trump landslide in 2020. 
And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America Can We Talk? Truth about America.